Good morning. Glad that you could be here for our, our worship and for our uh, study of First Peter as we continue thinking about uh, living healthy Christian lives in a toxic world. Did you ever take one of those online tests that measures your biological age compared to your chronological age? You, you put in your blood pressure and your heart rate and your cholesterol and your height and your weight and, and all this data, and then they feed that back to you and tell you that biologically how old you are as compared to your chronological age. I did one of those about eight years ago, and it said I was 29. <laughs> now, that tells you two things. Number one, don't trust those tests. They're pretty bogus. Number two, it tells you that there can be a big difference between the age that you are and the age that statistics say that you are. And when we think about our spiritual life, there's something similar that is true. There may be a big gap between how spiritually old we are, our spiritual age, how long we've been in Christ, and how much we've grown in Christ. There can be a big difference. Hopefully they keep pace with one another that throughout your life in Christ that you've continued to grow, but that, that doesn't always happen to be the case. And that's what Peter is concerned about in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 22 and going through chapter 2 and verse 3. And by the way, ignore the chapter division there. This is one of those places where whoever did the chapter division did not help us any because the, the big number 2 makes you think we're changing subjects, and in fact we're not. He's talking about the same thing. But Peter is talking to these Christian exiles who he says have been born again. And he tells them like newborn infants that they are to grow up into salvation. So he's talking about growth. He's talking about starting out being born anew in Christ, but, but growing. And not just growing some, but growing up into the salvation that we have. And, and this is a need of all of us exiles, isn't it? While we're exiled on this earth, and that's what Peter says we are. We are aliens and exiles on this earth. But we need to grow. You know, there's nothing wrong with being an infant if you're the age of an infant. But there's something badly wrong if you still have infantile characteristics at a later age. And we all recognize that and we get concerned uh, about that. There's something wrong with still being immature if you've been in Christ for several years. And one of the reasons for that, for that immaturity, is a failure to act our age, especially when it comes to each other. Peter talks about that specifically, to live, to live consistently with what we claim to believe. So Peter begins with the fact that we have been born again. Now that's true of everybody who's in Christ. We've all been born again. Sometimes you hear that terminology used in a way that would make you think that there are some Christians who are born again and some who are not. But everybody who's in Christ has been born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5 that unless you've been born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if you are in fact in Christ, then it means you have been born again. Well, when did that happen? Well, look at verse 22 of chapter 1. 
Our souls have been purified, he says, by our, our obedience to the truth. So what truth is he talking about? Look at verse 23. We were born again, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That truth that purifies us is God's word. It is that imperishable seed. It is that living and abiding word of God. And you look down to verse 25 where he's giving a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40 and he calls it the word of the Lord that remains forever. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God, the word of our Lord abides forever. It never goes away. It never loses its power. It never loses its effect. Now that good news that he's talking about is nothing less than the gospel that Peter himself was the first one to preach on the day of Pentecost. The good news that Jesus had died and risen from the dead and brought eternal life. And there are two main points that Peter makes as he preaches about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. He proclaimed, first of all, Jesus' identity. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it was that recognition that that Jesus, whom they thought was an imposter, Jesus, whom they thought was a, a religious charlatan, was in fact the Lord. He was, in fact, the Messiah of Israel that had been raised, but had been raised from the dead. And so when they realized that, the people said, what do we do? And Peter told them very plainly, very clearly uh, in verse 38, he told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're told later that about 3,000 of them did that day. About 3,000 of them responded. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, the book of Acts says. They were obedient. They did what Peter said. And so they were purified. They had their sins washed away. They were born again. They were born again that day. Now, Peter knows that his readers have heard and obeyed that gospel, that good news. They've been obedient to the truth. He says that in verse 22. Having been obedient to the truth, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And they've had that seed planted within them. They've had that word put within their minds and within their hearts. But what's not so clear is whether or not they are growing and developing properly. That's Peter's concern. You've been born again, he says. I know that. You, you've been born by the living and abiding word of God, and, and you, you have received that blessing. But are they growing in the way that they should? You know, if an infant's not growing and developing properly, we get concerned, don't we? And that's why when you take a, a baby to the pediatrician, they always weigh them and measure them and all that kind of They're not just trying to tell you congratulations, you've got a big kid. Uh, they're, they're wanting to make sure that the child's developing properly. When uh, Kurt was a baby, uh, we had just moved from Wyoming to Texas, and we had to find a pediatrician. And the father of a good friend of ours was a pediatrician, Dr. J.P. Gibson. Dr. Gibson was 85 years old. But he was still practicing, and he was still sharp as a tack. And one day I, I took Kurt in and when he was just uh, weeks old, and Dr. Gibson didn't do like a lot of doctors do. He didn't have a separate 
uh, examining area, he, he laid the baby on his desk. He had one end of his desk cushioned and padded, and he would lay the baby down on the desk. And as he laid Kurt down on that desk, he reached up, and hanging over the desk was a little silver drawer pull, like you would attach to the drawer to pull it out, a little silver thing hanging by a wire. And he laid him down on there, and he reached up, and he, he just kind of tapped that wire, and it started swinging back and forth. And Kurt just started following it with his eyes. And I commented to Dr. Gibson, I said, that, that's a great idea to keep the baby's attention while you're examining him. And he said, that's not what it's for. He said, what it's for is to test his eye movement. He says, if by a certain number of weeks he's not following that with his eyes, we know something's wrong and we've got a problem. You see, we're always concerned. Are we growing? Are we developing properly? We're concerned about that with infants. They must grow or we get concerned. Are we just concerned about ourselves that we are growing spiritually? God is concerned about it. That's what Peter was concerned about it. God has a test too, one that will tell for sure whether or not Christians are growing in Christ as we should. Verse 22, we were obedient to the truth, he says, for a sincere brotherly love, so love one another earnestly from the heart. And if we're not doing that, he says, then we are not growing as we should because that, that is one of the signs of spiritual growth, one of the signs of development, is that we are loving one another with a sincere brotherly love, loving one another from the heart. And then Peter switches metaphors. He goes from talking about the, uh, the food that an infant needs to talking about seed, and he says, before the seed of God's word can grow in your life, you have to clear the ground because there are always spiritual weeds. I don't know why it is. I guess it's because of the fall. But, you know, if you just leave a piece of ground sitting there, it's going to grow weeds, isn't it? It generally doesn't grow flowers. It doesn't grow uh, food crops. It grows weeds. And that happens in our lives. You just kind of let them go. And we grow a lot of spiritual weeds. We grow a lot of junk that needs to be cleared away. And so in chapter 2 and verse uh, 1, Peter says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now, as you look at that list, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Notice that all of those are relational problems. All of those have to do with interpersonal relations, every one of them. He's not talking about morality in general. He's not talking about ethics in general. He is talking about our interpersonal relations with each other within the body of Christ. And he says there are certain things that have to be put away because when they are there, then it is evidence of the lack of love. You heard the reading earlier from James chapter 1 and verse 21. James said the same thing. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, the weeds choke out the good stuff, don't they? The weeds choke out the word of God. Jesus said that in the parable of the sower. And so we have to get rid of those weeds. And so Peter says, put them away. Put all these things away. Now, that implies a deliberate decision to put them away. And it implies a deliberate action to put them away. 
It's not just, well, I hope someday that those things go away. No, it is a decision that I am going to put that away. It is a decision that I will no longer behave in those ways. I will no longer think in those ways. I won't allow myself to. I'm going to put all of that away and replace that with the living and abiding word of God, he says. Now, that's similar to Paul's language, isn't it? In his letters where he talks about putting on and putting off, he'll say put off the old man and put on the new and, and put off and put to death certain characteristics that are characteristics of the old life without Christ and put on the, what ought to be characteristic of the new life in Christ. And so he says we need to put those things away because until we put those things away, we cannot put on the love that we're supposed to have for one another. Well, why love? Why is Peter so specifically concerned about love? One reason is because of what Jesus said in John 13, verse 35. He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He was there with them at the Last Supper, and he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, how important was that? He said, this is how all people will know that you are my disciples. You know, down through the history of the church, we've tried to come up with a lot of of different ways of describing the church and identifying the church. We've talked about identifying marks of the church, and we've made up lists of uh, this identifies the church and all this kind of thing. Jesus said there's one, and it's John 13, 35. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we just can't get around that. You know, you can fulfill every other list, but if we don't meet that uh, that one, people are not going to know that we are disciples of Jesus because he himself was love. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 says, God is love, and if we don't learn how to love, then we don't know God. Listen to his words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because God is love. We cannot reflect the character of God unless we love one another. We cannot be identified as followers of Jesus unless we love one another. But there's another practical reason why love is so important to Peter. Because he, remember, he's writing to exiles. He's writing to people who are away from their real home. He's writing to people who, like us, were living in a toxic world. A world that was hostile to their faith. A world that could be fatal to their faith if they weren't careful. And love is such a practical necessity for exiles because we need each other. It's just that simple. We need each other. We need the community. We need the strength. We need the encouragement of one another and of being together with each other. We are what's called an expatriate community. That means we are living in a land that's not our own. Living in a land that's not our own. And so we come together. Why? Why are we here together this morning? Because we know we're living in a world that's not our own. Why isn't the rest of the world here with us? Because they don't believe what we believe. They don't follow the one that we follow. And so we are here as this expatriate community, knowing that we need each other and we need to love each other and we need to be together, and we need to grow together in Christ. So if we understand, first of all, who God is, 
And then secondly, who we are, then we will understand why we need to love one another, just like Peter says we do. So what do we do if we're not? What do we do if we're not growing spiritually as we should? What, if we do, what do we do if we're not loving one another properly? Well, let's see what Peter says. First of all, he says, put away the bad stuff. Get rid of the weeds. Put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Just stop it. Just put a stop to it. But then second, chapter 2 and verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What an important statement. Long for the pure spiritual milk like newborn infants. You ever seen a little bitty baby when they, they first start nursing and you come toward them with a bottle? And they, they've learned to realize what it is, and you first, you know, touch their lips with it. How excited they get. You know, sometimes their little arms will shoot out, and they'll just start shaking, you know, and they, they just, they get so excited. I do that at breakfast every day. <laughs> they just get so excited because they're they longing for that food. They want it. They desire that pure spiritual milk. It's not that they intellectually know that they need it. They just want it. They just want it. And they, they recognize that it's something good. They recognize that it's something important. Well, Peter says like, like newborn infants long for that pure spiritual milk of God's word. He's not talking about forcing yourself to read it. He's talking about desiring it, wanting it. Thirsting for it, hungering for it. We need to feed eagerly on God's word or we're not ever going to grow. We've got to long for that pure spiritual milk. Now, this is not the same as that contrast between milk and meat that you find in Hebrews chapter 5. We sometimes talk about people not being ready for the meat of the word. That's what Hebrews 5 is about because they're not mature enough, and so they have to still be fed milk. This is not what Peter's talking about. Peter is talking about milk because that's what infants need. That's what they grow on. He's not saying that, that, that it's uh, better uh, or not as good for the mature or something of that nature. He's saying this is what infants need. And so like newborn infants, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation and this isn't just about reading the bible we thought for too long that that's what this was about it's just about reading the bible just just you know read a few verses every day or something of that nature it's not about that it's about not only reading it it's about doing it it's about being fed so that we are changed in the way that we live and in the things that we do and then our lives are guided by it so that we learn to live for Christ in a world that is basically opposed to him. That's how we will learn to do that. You cannot live a healthy Christian life in a toxic world if you starve yourself from the word of God. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. It is spiritual suicide to try. Because you will waste away spiritually. We need spiritual sustenance for that. We need to grow up into salvation, Peter said. 
It's an interesting phrase if you think about it. What does it mean to grow up into salvation? The NIV says grow up in your salvation. And that's, that's helpful, but literally it says grow up into salvation. So what's Peter talking about when he says grow up into salvation? Well, for one thing, it means that we're not static in our spiritual maturity. It means that we're growing up. It means that our, our salvation is perfect. It is such a wonderful blessing that God has given to us. And we are growing up into the gift that God has given us. It's as though someone, uh, when we were very small, had bought us a, a, a beautiful set of new clothing. But it was too big for us. And, and so we grow up into it. We grow up until it fits. Peter says grow up until you, until you reach the age, the maturity level where you ought to be for the period of time that you've been in Christ William Brownson points out that every living thing is either growing or dying. Do you ever think about that? There's no neutrality. You're either growing or dying. Now I realize that sounds a little grim for some of us. But it's truth, isn't it? We're either growing on or we're on our way out. There is no neutral. We're either going one way or the other. So growing up into salvation means continuing to grow until our salvation is fully realized when Jesus comes again or when our life on this earth is done. It is living up to our calling as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means acting our spiritual age, acting our age spiritually, not remaining immature when we ought to be immature. That's why we put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander because they retard our growth. That's why we feed ourselves on that pure spiritual milk and we long for it because that's what gives us the ability to grow and to grow up into what God has provided for us. I want you to notice that Peter's words about spiritual growth do not end with an affirmation. They end with a question. Not with an affirmation, but with a question. And here's his question. If, if indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. He believes they have. He believes that these people have all been born again. But then he recognizes the possibility that maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe they don't know the joys of salvation. Maybe that's why they're not growing spiritually. Maybe that's what they need to think about. If you have tasted the joys of the Lord, he says, it's time to grow. It's time to be sure that your spiritual age keeps pace with the time that you've been in Christ. It's time to be sure that you're as mature as you ought to be being in Christ. And if you haven't tasted goodness of the Lord, then you need to be born again. It's that simple. You need to turn to Christ in faith. You need to acknowledge your sinfulness. You need to acknowledge your need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and have your sins washed away. You need to acknowledge that, that need to repent and be baptized, as Peter had told those people on that very first time that the gospel was preached, so that your sins will be forgiven and 
God's spirit will come to live within you and then you will be, as Jesus said, born again of the water and the spirit. That word that leads us to that, Peter says, abides forever. That word abides forever. God wants you to abide forever. He wants you to abide forever with him. If you're ready to start that new life, to have that new birth, we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing. I'm pressing on.